Good morning, Claire Hoff with Scott Casper, and this is Say Gregory's Talk Therapy for Mental Health Show. Join us as we talk about a topic that many islands face every day, mental illness. We feature the expertise of doctors, therapists, and specialists who understand the challenges we are all facing. Our show airs two times, 4 to 5 a.m. and 10 to 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings on Iowa's Hope 940 and online at talktherapytmhs.com. Join in for the conversation on this important life topic. As we like to say, Iowa, we're listening. You bet we are, Nick. We're live from the Five Talents Financial Management Group Studios. I'm Scott Casper, and again, he's Nick Learhoff. Glad to have Nick back in the studio. He's been so very busy. The census is off the charts at St. Greg's and why it's quality therapy for one and all in dealing with alcoholism, addiction, and, uh, and life, basically. You're going to refine yourself at St. Gregory's. In the studio today, Kira Jones pushing the buttons, making it sound good. She's got a special track of music. Her background talking about is elite level athletes, high level professional athletes transitioning to a life after competition. You're saying, what's the big deal? Well, athletes in transition, it's all about dealing with the challenge of no longer being an elite athlete, whether from a sudden injury, retirement, or even after an athlete's collegiate sport. Uh, but according to athlete assessments, Bo Hansen, Perhaps we shouldn't be looking at it as a transition. It's, however, time to plan for life ahead. And to join us and to talk about it on the defense, excuse me, I almost said defense soap newsmaker hotline, different show. <laughs> <laughs> on the St. Gregory's newsmaker hotline is Scott Bruxvort. He's the founder of Price of a Hug, a recent presenter at TED Talks Des Moines. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Good morning, Scott. I'm doing fantastic. There's coffee in the cup, and the humidity hasn't hit yet, so it's a good start to the day. One at six foot six, which you are, you obviously are going to feel it sooner than the rest of us, right? <laughs> well, you must be reading the program, and I, I know that we <laughs> talked earlier on narcissism, and that was a little narcissism of me to six, a little ego back in the day. That might have been with some platforms. Uh, Nike forces on, but I'm about <laughs> six four, so maybe it's a little cooler down there. Anything above my height is six foot six. Believe me, I I feel I, I feel <laughs> shorter and say. fatter every day. I really do. But that's my own issue. I'll deal with it. Okay, I have to look in the mirror and say I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and God like me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Scotty, tell us a bit about yourself and why we have you as a guest today. I think it's important to hear from your words from you. Yeah, absolutely. Small world, Scott. Uh, your your wife, Susan, actually used to work as a standardized patient educator for me at Des Moines University. Uh, she mentioned your show multiple times while I was uh, working with her at Des Moines University. And, you know, I, I played college basketball in my undergrad experience, played at a fairly high level and deal with some mental health uh, issues myself that I've uh, worked really hard on kind of combating and getting better at every single day. As we all know, that's kind of the approach to it. But yeah, that's what brings me here today. Small world, Scott. Now, um, being a, and I'm around high level athletes all the time. <clears throat> Pardon me, getting all choked up talking. About, uh, being around these athletes, you see a, how hard they train. Uh, the fact that they are coached, perhaps they have a dietitian uh, coaching the team as well, contributing. But when I started to see therapists, and I'm talking about psychiatrists uh, who are attached to the team or to the athletic department, I knew that there was something else going on. That's why this interest for me, especially on the very eve of the Olympic Games, I mean, my goodness sakes, I have some of the best athletes in the world, wrestlers, et cetera, in Tokyo, Japan, waiting to compete, having to deal with the issue of COVID, whether or not their opponents are safe, tested, and okay, uh, and the general populace is safe and tested and okay. You know, there's some problems there. I get it, but uh, I don't know if it's worth the price of a hug. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it. everything you do as an athlete, I, I speak a lot on personal experiences and stories that I've heard from friends along with some research that I've done. But, you know, there's a lot of layers of when you're constantly being evaluated as a it's coming up being recruited as a middle schooler, a high schooler, um, competing for scholarship dollars. You compete in the game, obviously, to win. Um, there's endless practices that you're being evaluated on as a player um, from your coaches, from your parents, from your peers, fans in the stands. And 
it, it obviously is very easy to get into a performance-driven mindset because you're competing for things in multiple avenues as an athlete to pay for your tuition, to support your family, to support yourself. And yeah, I can definitely see it's, it's really easy to get into that competitive as long as you're in that avenue and you're thinking in that scope, you can, you can remain competitively mind-focused for a really long period of time. We see so many athletes, Nick, struggle uh, with the transition of being competitive, and that includes weight gain, uh, perhaps an experience with alcohol or drug addiction. Uh, some of them just spiral down so quickly, you wonder, oh, my goodness sakes. You know, they yeah, were... it's, it's really hard. You know, I was just reading a study of, that Lash and Lowen did on the hypothesis of gender and sex role differences as they pertain to narcissism. And... The study reported that bodybuilders scored significantly higher on self-absorption subscales and the narcissism inventory than even athletes and science students. But what was really interesting is that the masculine group and men in general on the report significantly higher on the total narcissism scale for subscales of women, androgynous, feminine, and undifferentiated groups. So it, it's definitely... You can you can make the correlation to levels of narcissism in transitioning to life after sports and bodybuilders scored so high on that and I myself when I was done as a college athlete because you're almost I, I would search for something that could replace that level of competition that mm -hmm. level of attention right. and that level of performance mindset that I you know basically lived in from the time I was 10 years old till when I stop playing basketball and then it's kind of how are we going to reinvent ourselves as athletes to get that competitive it in a world where it tends to serve you better if you lead with empathy compared to being performance driven and narcissistic i think you know you can even look at it as like the two sides of the coin even um just kind of scale it back a little bit you know, that you talked to uh, Scott about, you know, with the high level athletes, you see them coming off the bus and they have like a team psychologist and right. they have somebody that they work with. And you think of in the moment while they're at that high level, the amount of pressure that they deal, you know, with trying to overcome. Also, then you have on top of that in this day of age, you know, the social media pressures of the criticisms and critiques and all those different things and having uh, a, a professional, a mental health professional on the team to be able to help them through those scenarios and those situations and help them deal with those things. And then on top of that, you know, you talk about that transition, that, that switching of gears, if you will. And you go from like you were talking about Scott, that all the, the, the glory that comes with it, right. right? All right. of the, the praise and the attention and Ad all those adulation. things. And then in, in conjunction with that, the structure, you know, you, you, you've been training at, uh, very, very hard for a very, very long time. You're very, very structured and, and things are, are, are all put in place so you can have that structure, so you can have that attention to detail and perfect that craft, if you will. You know, I think, you know, as that transition happens and that structure gets changed, you don't have all the sport systems in place to be at like, you think That's of right. like Olympics or like an Olympian, like your life is geared towards this thing and everybody's going to help you get there if they can, Right. You know, um, and then, like I said, and then it's that sense of identity, right? This is, this is who I am. This is, this is, I am one of the best in the world, or I am one of the best at, at what I do. Um, and then you have to switch that up. So, okay, now we're post Olympics, post, you know, uh, high level competition. And who am I now? What am I doing? What are my goals? What, you know, what, there's no, that, there's not that structure there. Right. So, I mean, that's gotta be an incredibly difficult transition an incredibly difficult difficult thing to to process mm -hmm. mentally well oh, we absolutely and it's it's kind of a it's a multifaceted step you know i wasn't just born into being a super competitive person um i grew up in mitchellville iowa on a farm believe it or not i played my high school ball at prairie city monroe graduated in 2012 and you know i went from no one in my family had gone to college to the point in eighth grade, I went to the junior All-American camp in Washington, D.C. and was ranked as the 20th best player after the camp in the country. Wow. wow. And it's almost like it was difficult for me, and I'm sure it's difficult for a lot of athletes to go from, you know, I was a small town farm boy where 
it was a big deal if you got in the Prairie City or Monroe paper to now I'm being evaluated by scouting services when we play travel ball all over. And this is at 15, 16 years old. And yeah, I'm sure that circling back to COVID, I'm sure it's difficult for a lot of these professional athletes when you're used to being evaluated, you're used to high level performance in games or matches or meets uh, on a grand scale. And a lot of that away, and even circling back with our you have so much stability as an athlete. Your practices are scheduled. You have a nutritionist, like Scott mentioned. You have a dietitian. There's all of these structures of stability that are in place. And I think whether you're an athlete or a working professional, anything through COVID that was difficult because it threw our stability out of place. And stability brings peace and you know calmness to a lot of people. And that that kind of threw a wrench in a lot of things. Are you comfortable of talking about your life experience uh, after being a uh, enduring during your athletic career and then after? Are you comfortable talking about that? Absolutely. I'm an open book, Scott. You guys can fire away. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. That's what we're going to do when we come back from break. Okay. You're listening to St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show. Scott Casper Nicklerhoff, Kira Jones at the helm of the mothership. Appreciate that, Kira. And Scott Bruxwort is our guest, uh, well-known for uh, has been a standardized uh, patient instructor uh, for Des Moines University EU. Uh, is that right, DMEU? Just go DMU. DMU. Uh, I put an E in there for some reason. I'm an overachiever. I admit um, it. <laughs> we, we all we all got it. Hey, the the E the E could bring something better. You know. Uh, you never you never don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> That's right. All right, stay tuned. There's more of the show as we come to you live from Des Moines, Iowa. Appreciate you listening. Important topic, especially on this, the eve of the uh, the 2021, get that, 2021 Olympic Games. It is that split year because of the COVID thing. So they are getting ready to compete over there. You're getting ready to watch on the platforms that are NBC. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing some really great athletic endeavors taking place. But how do they adjust? after that career is over. We'll continue to investigate that with our guest, Scotty Brexport, right after this. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. There's more with Nick Learhoff and Scott Casper right here on Iowa's 940 for St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show. Iowa, we're listening. I came to St. Gregory very reluctantly at my all-time worst, physically, emotionally, and mentally. But I gave my best effort to these new things in my life as I saw hope in this complete approach. I'm at the point now that I feel my strongest and best ever, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I felt quite certain God was orchestrating everything. St. Gregory Recovery Center. Recovery starts here. Relevantradio.com slash St. Gregory. Welcome back to Talk Therapy, the mental health show. We continue on all things mental health today. Nick and I are joined by Scott Bruxfort. Uh, Scott is a, uh, a man with a great deal of life's experiences already under his belt. He's not that old. Scotty, how old are you? Just turned 28 in June, believe it or not. I'm well, you made kind it. Of a pup. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> We've been waiting. <laughs> anyway, so, some of us have been waiting. Others just continue, like I do, to get older. Uh, by the way, happy birthday to my grandson. Happy birthday. Yeah, the 7th, we're holding or they're holding, and I'm an invited guest, believe it or not, mm-hmm. uh, because Grandpa gives the best hugs. But uh, it's one-year-old. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. My wife saw fit to get him a sandbox and 60 pounds of sand. Now, here's the problem with 60 pounds of sand in one box. She can't lift. I can barely lift. It's bulky. It's bulky. Anyway, our guest, Scott Broxford. Scott, uh, tell us a little bit about um, your life in transition during uh, your athletic endeavors and then post. Yeah, well, Scott, it was it was kind of a really difficult transition, and I started making the transition when I was 21, believe it or not. I still had three years left of college eligibility. I started at the University at Albany in New York out of high school and dropped out after three days. Wow. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time in high school got pregnant um, and had an abortion because a lot of my coaches in basketball, I would never single any names out, but a lot of my coaches were saying that a child would be harmful to my basketball career and really pushed um, going through with an abortion on both of us. And I've always dealt with social anxiety. I borderline personality disorder. Um, it, these things in combination and 
wanting to please my family or my fans or my city that I come up out of playing basketball, you know, you don't want to fail anybody. So I thought that the advice that I was getting was in my best interest because mm-hmm. how do you know any better? And it, that led to some heavy drinking and drug usage for me in college. I, I drank heavily uh, through my first two years at Quincy while I was playing basketball. Um, you sub and just, kind of hit this point at 21 i was fresh off of probation from getting arrested as a 20 year old for shoplifting alcohol because i was so addicted to drinking that you know i i couldn't buy it because i was an athlete that wasn't making any money as a player and i couldn't make enough money in a part-time job to buy as much alcohol as i was drinking at the time um to be honest and i kind of hit 21 and realized okay i'm not going to go to the nba And it was in that moment where I really started feeling a lot of anxiety from a lot of avenues because how am I going to get an arrest record? Um, I've known nothing but playing basketball since I was a young kid. And I really felt truly like we spoke on earlier that I had to reinvent myself. And it wasn't even a focus of where to reinvent myself to be great at something. And whatever that something was, I was going to put my best into it. And that's a difficult transition when you're trying to be great and you don't even know what you want to be great at. And that was the situation I myself in as a 21-year-old. You know, they say life well-lived is a life of self-discovery. In other words, you go through your life, you're always reinventing yourself. I have found that to be true for me. And perhaps you listeners out there would agree that we are constantly reinventing ourselves. I could never stand in a factory and put caps on toothpaste tubes. You understand what I'm saying? Something that, uh, and it's, I'm not decrying anybody's form of employment at all. Okay. I'm not criticizing any of that, but I just couldn't find myself in that type of a situation. I lasted three weeks at the super value warehouse, even though they were paying 17 and here's the deal, 17 bucks an hour back in 1979 or 1980, but it just didn't, uh, motivate me. It didn't, uh, you know, that type of repetition and, and being on the clock piecewise just didn't challenge me at all. I mean, sure you could do it, but what's the point? Do it again. <laughs> now I've announced basketball, Scott, uh, for a long time. And I, I had a 35 year career announcing basketball with a variety of teams. And, uh, my final team was the, uh, Iowa Wolves attached to the Timberwolves at Minnesota. And what I noticed definite difference for those that were signed by the Timberwolves and sent to the G League, back then the D League, and uh, they came in with a chip on their shoulders, even though they were getting a big paycheck, they did not want to play in Des Moines, Iowa, okay? And most of them didn't have enough talent to be able to come off the bench anyway, unless it was as a, as a fill. Um, and, and those athletes definitely had trouble with alcohol, definitely had trouble with drugs, um, and I'm, I'm wondering too, with legalizing weed is going to cause more problems than, than it's going to solve. Okay. But, uh, back then you could smell it up and down the hallways, travel ball, traveling to the teams and different parts of the country I had to go to, but, um, it's just a common, uh, it's more common than we think. Um, but as, as a, an announcer, I get to see these guys and, and I wonder why they are feeling the way they're feeling because they've been put on a pedestal at the high school level, told they are the level best. You're going to the NBA. And then they go to the NBA, and by God, they're right back where they started in the G League. They're still learning. You know, that's the part that, that always has me scratching my head, too, because when you are, uh, when you think you know everything you need to know and you're still being coached, the, the best thing you can do is shut your mouth and open the ears up wide open and learn all that you can from the people that are being paid to teach or coach. Scott, am I wrong or right? <laughs> I, I think, I think you're onto something there, Scott, you know, it's, it's really difficult because I mean, from my personal experience, I went from being the best player at my high school, you know, and we would go to the state tournament and I was being heavily recruited and then play on your travel team as well. And to play travel ball, you kind of have to when you're from a small school like me because no coach is coming to Monroe, Iowa to watch you play in the heart of uh, Iowa conference against, you know, our Iowa competition. Nothing against Iowa competition, but it's just very few players in my conference were going to go on and play college at that level. And when I got to Albany, it was a wake-up call. 
Um, you know, the players were better. I was the only freshman on the team. And I was fortunate enough that they were talking about taking me off of a red shirt and playing right away. But still socially, I was dealing with the element of the abortion. And mentally, I just couldn't be 18 and a half hours away from the comfort of the farm at that point in time. Wow. And then I went to Quincy and I had a chip on my shoulder, to be honest, as an arrogant 19 year old. You know, I'm going Division two now. I'm going to be better than you guys. And I wasn't. And you go through these, these periods of time as an athlete where you have high peaks of confidence when you're performing well. And if you're not used to adversity, if you are the best player at your high school, the best player at your college, if you're fortunate enough to go to the league, then you're meeting up with the best of the best who were also the best at their high school, college, and now they're in the league. And the best players are going to get to play. It's a business, whether it's at college or in the pros, you have an organization that's paying you a salary to perform no different than you would in the workplace. That's right. It, it hits you on two facets. One, you're constantly competing to get playing time, which equates to scholarship dollars or a bigger contract salary. But then at the same time, if you're hit with that adversity and you've known nothing but success, that can be unfamiliar and that can bring levels of I'm not good enough. It can bring levels of self-doubt. It can bring levels of bitterness towards your teammates because it's the fascinating thing about professional sports and at the college level, even you're on a team. It's a team setting. We're all in this together because we want to beat the heck out of the team that we're playing. But now is, it less likely for you to be a good teammate if you're not getting playing time. And now you're bitter at the guys that are playing above you. And there's so many dynamics that come into it, but it's all rooted in performance. And my, my experience is I'm fortunate enough that my college education was paid for through basketball. I was fortunate that it was incredibly destroyed through the game. And when you can learn to remove your ego and just enjoy the sport for what it is, enjoy the team dynamic and just go play for the fun of it. And if you get paid, that's a blessing, but we're so driven that it's hard to think that way when you're in the element of competition itself. It's a different day and age in NCAA for the life of athletes, especially the very elite of the collegiate athletes in the name image likeness I have on my other show, I'll have Spencer Leon from the University of Iowa literally regarded as the best collegiate wrestler on the mats today and a little bitty guy. And he's really good. <laughs> really good. But he was the first wrestler to sign a, uh, a contract for a representation and then signed sponsors after that. So they're starting to get paid at a variety of levels. Not everybody's going to get a check. Okay. It's not Publishers Clearinghouse. No, mm -hmm. no, not everybody's going to get a check. But the NCAA did a, a research in 2016, and get this number, kids, okay? They found that 1% to 1.5% of collegiate athletes proceeded to play, play professionally, while the vast majority transitioned into a light that did not revolve around their athletic talents. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Transitions can be difficult regardless of when or where they occur, but they can prove especially challenging if you're accustomed to a competitive lifestyle. Now, these transitions can cause stress, help them lead the clean and physically unprepared for life outside of sports. And that's what we're talking about, really. How do you transition to a life without outside of sports? Scott, when's the last time you touched a basketball? Oh, man, I think that was down at Billy Weathers of the Be Well Foundation had a three-on-three -three basketball tournament this summer. I believe it was back in September or October. I think it was October. Um, I don't play competitively anymore, but I can still dunk a basketball with the best of them. But every now and then, there's always that one person that asked me if I could still dunk and even to that, that competitive itch in me, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's still there every now and then that I had to do it. But yeah, I don't, I don't play, I don't play much ball anymore. Um, I never wanted to play ball in college, to be honest, Scott, I'm a, I'm a highly academic guy. I was fortunate that DMU put me in a position to where I could get my master's in education. And I finished that with a, with a 4.0, believe it or not, back in December, um, I've always loved learning. And growing up as a kid on the farm in Mitchellville, the only way that I could have paid for my college was to get an athletic scholarship. 
And basketball just happened to be the sport that I was the best at and where I had the most ability to go earn a scholarship. And I was, you know, when I stopped playing, I was pretty ready to be done playing. Um, And then I could just focus on a life that I was reinventing that was more of a life than life ever was when I was an athlete. And it's, it's a learning journey, to be honest. You know, I've, I've kind of been figuring it out and building the bike as I'm riding it. But I found a lot more stillness um, in my personal life now that I'm done playing because I'm not being observed or evaluated or competing as much as I ever used to. And I found a lot more stable mindsets through those stages. Our guest for the Maker Hotline is Scott Bruxvort. He's the founder of priceofahug.com and was a recent presenter at TED Talks Des Moines. Our conversation will continue here on St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show with Nick Learhouse, Scott Casper, Kira Jones, and again, our guest, Scott Bruxford. Stay tuned. There's more after this. St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show, will continue after this commercial timeout. The folks at St. Gregory were vital in helping me to get my brother into rehab. They were not only supportive of him, but of our whole family. They truly saved all of our lives with their love and kindness. Because of the hard work they helped my brother do, we regained a valued, healthy, and incredible part of our family. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. RelevantRadio.com slash St. Gregory. Setting the new standard for recovery. Welcome back St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show, Scott Kazer back in his chair i don't know that we're going to let him go yeah it's good to have him back in the studio it's great to yeah back. kira jones uh producing the show thank you kira our guest is scott bruxford um and we keep talking about price of a hug he's the founder of that gave a wonderful presentation apparently very impactful ted talks des moines uh was it last week scott uh, TED Talk, uh, that would have been May 11th. Uh, the time's flown since then. But yeah, May 11th, uh, I gave a TED Talk on toxic masculinity. Um, and it was, it, was really, it was really empowering for me to be able to recognize my own cycles and my own mental health missteps throughout the process. Uh, public speaking is always therapeutic for me. I, I speak from personal experience and share authentic life stories. And I kind of uncover a little bit about myself every time I speak as well. So it's, it's healing while I get to serve a purpose. So that's a, that's a good dual threat right there. Yeah. I, I love the topic, uh, you know, the toxic masculinity, you think of the mental health uh, topic in general and how for guys, it's just, we don't, we're not, you know, I guess, I don't know if you call it like the public image or the, the expectation, I guess we're not just, we're, we're supposed to, you know, not talk about those things. It's not been a source of comfortableness, I guess, for guys to talk about, you know, mental health issues or sort of insecurities and things like that. And so I think that bringing how that masculinity and how that affects, you know, uh, us, their mental health and and as men uh, being able to kind of work through some of those things, that's an interesting topic. You know, (laughs) recently an NFL player who is actively playing came out and uh, told his team, told the world, Hey, I'm gay. Probably something others already knew, right? But um, he made a a statement, a public statement. I thought I was very brave in doing so. But it also took that that fine point and used much broader pen in in terms of there's so many teams, so many players, so many coaches. I can't believe there's only one gay football player in the NFL. Okay? How, How would that even be possible? Okay? Yeah, and, and that's the thing is I think it comes back to that masculinity or the, I guess and you could probably talk exactly. a little bit more to this, Scott, than, than we could. I mean, as far as what that can do to a person's identity or the different mm-hmm. things that they're struggling with and being able to actually come out and, and uh, be open about those things and or find support if needed. Right. What are your thoughts, Scotty? Absolutely. I mean, I can definitely speak on uh, sexuality as it pertains to me. I identify as uh, non-binary. Um, so I have a masculine and a feminine identity that I carry with me. And this is all pretty new to me. I, I figure a little bit more about myself, I swear, every day. But it was difficult. I mean, I knew that I I knew that I was personally gay from the time I was like 10 years old. You know, I liked playing with Barbies instead of G.I. Joe's. And I did concerts and 
my teddy bears singing in sync and stuff like that <laughs> back in the day. But it's it's uh it's it's real real interesting because I never felt comfortable enough to tell anybody that I was gay until I was twenty seven. And it was three years after I was done playing sports. And I think it's more of an unconscious and self-conscious issue in addition to being treated by groups that make you feel that you don't necessarily belong as a gay individual, especially in athletics. And I never felt comfortable enough because that's a difficult conversation to have. You know, I'm gay, but I'm sharing a locker room with you. Right. And I'm, I'm sure that there's more than a handful of gay individuals that may never feel comfortable coming out as they're a professional athlete because at that level, you know, you're dealing with sponsorships and fans and organizations and you have to be aware of your public image sometimes. And it it's kind of, it was sad for me that I had this big teddy bear of a person inside of me that I was just waiting for the world to see. But I had to suppress myself essentially and, I wasn't comfortable enough in who I was. So I just wanted to be a straight white Mitchellville, Iowa, that was a really good basketball player. And I never let anyone see any other sides of me. And I could definitely see where that trickles in because it was, it was hard for me to even have the courage to come out. Um, and I never would have had that courage as an athlete. So that's, that's major respect to anybody who's comfortable enough in their own skin to do that on a public stage while being a professional athlete because this world isn't always so receiving in areas like that but it's uh we we are moving in the right direction thank goodness you know oh yeah there there has we've come out uh, come out of the darkness but you know plain to see dark clouds periodically appear but uh i'm glad we're moving in a positive and forward uh, direction. Scott Bruxford, our guest. Scott, before we lose track of time, I want you to tell people about Price of a Hug, what Price of a Hug is. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy how it started, Scott. Really aligned with uh, our mental health discussion. Um, I was three months away from finishing my master's. Um, I was, it was, would have been back in late August. Um, I checked into the emergency room and I was so depressed, Scott, because I was working at Des Moines University, making more money than I ever thought that I would make. Um, I worked with incredible individuals uh, in the standardized patient program and Des Moines University gave me more structure professionally than I had ever seen. But there was something about sitting at a desk that just didn't feel right for me as active as what I am and as much as I love serving the community. And I checked into the emergency room, uh, I think it was back in September or late August, um, with suicidal ideation. And I checked out of the emergency room and signed up for regular therapy. And one of our first discussions was, what do you love doing? And I couldn't answer the question. Right. I genuinely could not tell my therapist as a 27-year-old what I liked doing for fun. So we just kind of broke it down, and she asked what I enjoyed doing um, in my free time, and I said I like taking pictures on my iPhone. We landed on going and getting a camera. I went out to Walmart on uh, out in West Des Moines and bought a Canon T7, and I walked about 12 miles throughout Des Moines. I was just taking pictures, getting drunk. I went down by Cowles Commons across from the Civic Center, and I met a houseless man named Hector. He asked me to take his photo. I took his photo, and afterwards he gave me a hug, and he started crying, and he said that that short interaction just really helped him feel like he was a person again and rehumanized. And that interaction just... I was going to give away photography for one hug. And that's why Hector yelled at me as I was walking away. He said, you should give these away for one hug. And I spent probably the next four or five months after that giving away free photo shoots to anybody in the Des Moines area that wanted a photo shoot. And I would charge them one hug for my work and no money. And 
I ended up meeting my partner, Drew, uh, Drew Clements. He graduated from uh, Newton High School, played football at Grandview and studied photography. And I met him at that three-on-three tournament that Billy Weathers was holding where I dunked the last time, <laughs> if you remember me saying. And he comes up to me. We didn't know each other. And he asked what I was there for with my camera because he had his. And I said, you know, I'm just here taking pictures, trying to get better. I self-taught myself photography. And... I give away photo shoots for one hug and I just want to provide resources to the houseless community. And he signed up that day. He wanted to be the first person that works with me. And for the last few months, we've just really dove into the price of a hug thing. And we we're fortunate. We're a multimedia production company. We shoot all kinds of photography and videography content. Um, Just in the last few months alone, we've, Shot with Elijah Muhammad, who's a CrossFit Games athlete, Tyreek Hill from the Chiefs, uh, Drew went and shot with. We booked a death in Montana that we're leaving for next week, and we even shoot content with the Iowa Barnstormers now. Um, And it's just incredibly humbling to take something in photography that honestly was a big catalyst in helping me transition to life after sports. I found something that's a very low energy environment for me compared to sports. I can see the beauty in things that I was probably otherwise missing when I would have my Dr. Dre and Nas tracks on, on my (laughs) headphones with my head down. And I'm just, I'm just incredibly blessed. Um, you know, God, the universe, the people around us have just really allowed us to do our dream as freelance. And yeah, that's kind of where it started. We, uh, I say part of this money each month because I donate more money back to the houses community than I ever would make with photography because money's not a real importance to me. It's more of serving is the importance to me. And being able to serve the community through content creation to where now we're able to book photo shoots and video shoots for businesses uh, and get paid for our content, it just allows me to pre- be able to pre resources and an impact to our houseless and underserved uh, communities in Des Moines at a much greater level than I was able to when I wasn't making money given away for a hug. And that's, that's kind of where it started, but yeah, it's a, it's a really pure gig. I I love being able to do this every single day and it it certainly fills my cup. So it's a blessing for sure. Now you mentioned the barnstormers. We don't get to talk about them that much on this show. Okay. I am the PA voice of the Iowa Barnstormers, have been for 22 years. Wow. I'm doing something right, or they feel sorry for me. I'm not sure which. <laughs> but uh, yesterday they called and said, hey, would you mind hosting the Corgi race Saturday night? We bring out 30, 40, 50 Corgis, and, let, and to watch a Corgi run is quite enjoyable. That's but, hilarious. That yeah. That's uh, what it, I think it was two weeks back I shot the promo the corgis that's going to play on the on the big screen they were the cutest things that i have seen in such a long time watching those little dogs run on the turf on the field that was that was a sight to see for sure some of them are really fat and they just their their belly drags on the on the carpet it's, it's so, <laughs> so funny but we raised money that way and awareness for uh, animal rescue league of iowa and um and lou can't be there so i'm gonna have to double duty and maybe work with um Emery and uh, make sure that event comes off as planned. Will you be there taking pictures? Uh, yes. So Drew, uh, Drew Clements, my uh, sports photographer and director of be there and our newest addition to the team, uh, Julia Vericella. She comes from Beverly Hills and she lives here uh, in Des Moines now, moves here in January and she shoots a lot of still photography for us as well. So yeah, the three of us will be in attendance for the Corgi race. I'll have to stop by and say hi to you, Scott. I'm right at the 25 yard line. That's center field for those folks that don't understand the indoor football league. <laughs> it's a little shorter field. <laughs> a little right? shorter, yeah. yeah. It's indoor war is what we call it. So we're going to continue our conversation. One final segment remains with our guest, Scott Bruxford. It has been very enjoyable, and I hope you have enjoyed it as well. Stay tuned. There's more. It's Talk Therapy, the mental health show, brought to you by St. Gregory. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. There's more with Nick Learhoff and Scott Casper right here on Iowa's 940 for St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show. Iowa, we're listening. I can't say enough about the staff at St. Gregory's, who seem especially gifted to work in this field. 
who were so helpful and encouraging and will always have my gratitude. I made some very good new friends, a couple of whom I probably would not have made it through those beginning days without. Everyone and the programs at St. Gregory seemed designed and placed in my life by God's perfect plan. RelevantRadio.com slash St. Gregory. RelevantRadio.com slash St. Gregory. Welcome back to St. Gregory's Talk Therapy, the mental health show on the very eve of the Olympic Games uh, in Tokyo, Japan. thought it important to talk about uh, the mental acuity, the mental toughness, the challenges that these athletes are facing for many their last trip down uh, uh, you know, a high-level athlete's lane. It really will. Uh, some of them will do well. There's only one gold medalist every weight in karate, judo, wrestling, sambo, etc. Uh, and, and skateboarding is no different. All the sports have a guy or a girl, a uh, woman, that will rise to the top. Everybody else will be below them. Okay, that's another way society ranks people is by performance. We're talking with Scott Bruxport about this very topic. He's been an elite athlete. He's been recruited. He's been under scholarship um, and he's been under pressure. In his- so, in fact, the biggest question we're asking today, how does mental health affect elite athletes? And that's a it's a really big topic. It's surprising how much information is out there. Should you want to, like uh, like we do, each topic, we try to do our research. But you can go to Google and and type in um, in the search bar, elite athletes and mental health. You will be shocked at how much is out there. The citations are in the thousands, the articles as well. Uh, Scott Bruxford re- rejoins the uh, conversation in May. He was uh, a presenter at TED Talks Des Moines. And that for a lot of presenters, that, that for a lot of uh, speakers, you know, a very high level, comparatively speaking to an elite level athlete, that's one of the very best series that's constantly going on around the country. And uh, everybody has to share their perspective to teach, if you will, to, to examine their lives like an open book in front of other people. And Scott, you did that, right? I did. It was. It was a humbling, and I do a lot of public presenting. I've spoke on, I've spoke on my story fairly often, um, and you know, as a public presenter, it's it's humbling to to get a to get a TEDx talk. Um, that was that was a great experience, to be honest. But I have severe social anxiety, so that that kind of threw it always throws a loop in public presenting. Um, but I'm able to kind of combat that because honestly performing as an athlete and it's almost like a switch that you can flip it's perform time and you can kind of get yourself through some really uncomfortable situations when you're being watched or observed by an audience um and i was fortunate that i played basketball so it it's not nearly as stressful giving a ted talk as it is bouncing a ball and trying to make it through a hoop in front of people that's for sure you know we talk about you know, everybody idolizes, most people idolize uh, professional athletes. They don't think about the downside. When the cameras are off, the lights are down, the locker room is empty. How many elite athletes have mental health issues? Well, according to a recent study among professional athletes, data shows that up to 35% of elite athletes suffer from a mental health crisis, which may manifest itself as stress eating disorders, burnout, depression, anxiety, alcoholism. Uh, eating disorders is a, um, it's kind of an a, a interesting part of, of the dynamic because you are at a training table. You're, you know, a lot of calories. You're eating a lot of calories. Well, when you retire from active competition, guess what? Your eating pattern doesn't change. You're going to eat the same amount of food and that's why you see uh, football players immediately after their playing career is over uh, start blossoming or blooming, you know, getting bigger. And it's not just football. That's an example. Well, think of, uh, what do they say? What was it? Michael Phelps, when he was in his training because of all the work he did, I mean, he was it consumed like anywhere between six and 10,000 calories like a day. Oh, you my. know, can you imagine? I mean, just, I mean, but the body, when you're at that level and you're training as hard as they are for the Olympics, I mean, you are, your body's churning through a lot of that and you're just trying to maintain the muscle mass you have right. and, and all those things. And so I'm sure, I mean, you think of, I think of like, uh, how big in right. the state, right. Um, at the high school level. And I remember being in high school, watching these, these, um, guys that were in the different weight classes, just 
oh, they're in the morning, they're running suits. And then, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, what would you, would you have for, for uh, breakfast morning? Well, I had some water. Uh, yeah. I really need to cut some weight. I need to cut three pounds so I can make this, you know, and you think of <laughs> the biological or physical, physiological effects of that over time, A, and B, um, the mental emotional, uh, you know, effects of how that can affect behavioral health and the standpoint of, of eating disorders and different things when they're trying to manage that. I just, I, I, I being a heavyweight, I never had to worry about that too much. So that was one of those things that, that, that was, that was nice, you know, um, you know, but, um, it's one of those things that, that, um, I can, I can see yeah. where, you know, uh, athletes can have the, that struggle, you know, sure. about eating disorders and things of that nature. Scott Bruxford, our guest, Scott, the, uh, athletes have a difficult time. Most athletes do pushing away from the training table. Uh, what was that experience like for you as an athlete? Yeah. I mean, I transitioned right into competitive CrossFit as okay. soon as I was done playing basketball. Um, I actually, I, I had two knee surgeries while I was at Quincy uh, meniscus both times. Um, and to rehab the second one, I actually trained with Sam Dancer from Quincy, Illinois, who owned the CrossFit gym there. And he was a professional CrossFit athlete. Um, so that's what got me into CrossFit. And it was really easy to get into that. You know, it's competitive. I'm working out two or three times a day, just like I was when I was an athlete. And I was able to continue eating what I ate when I was working out like that. And yeah, it's, it's just back into trying to find something to replace the sport is what I was trying to do through CrossFit. And I went from being 185 pounds as a senior in high school at Prairie City Monroe to my playing weight at Quincy was 265 pounds. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it, it's crazy how you could transform your body to just perform better. And I had to majorly adjust my portion sizes, my exercise routine, my balance of meditation and breathing. And all of these new holistic practices that I try to implement on a weekly basis to get out of competitive mode and try to get more into a stillness mode. But that's the study that I led with uh, at the beginning of our interview. Um, it was really touching on the fact that a lot of athletes, it was Lash and Lowen that did the study on this, um, that a lot of bodybuilders score significantly higher on the self-absorption subscale in the narcissism inventory, even compared to current athletes. Because once again, as a bodybuilder, you get a train, you are constantly being observed, you make money for your physique. And of course, it can be correlated that there's high levels of eating disorders and depression and self-image issues because you are always being observed. It's it's similar to, you know, being a, an elite high-end fashion model. Um, you know, you, you, if you're making money and your appearance is monetized, your business and self starts to become very similar. And that, that surely would affect a lot of individuals. You know, I, I, I saw this happen with my uh, cousin's son, became the first male model to sign an exclusive contract with Polo, Ralph Lauren. And it's from Indianola, Iowa. Again, a small town kid rising above it. But the pressure that was put on him. Oh, yeah. Uh, internationally. I remember his first trip uh, to Paris or no, to Milan. I uh, said, be aware that there's going to be sharks circling the tank for a variety of reasons money, sex, whatever. You're going to be offered drugs. You're going to be offered alcohol. You're going to be offered. Uh, but you have to be really careful when eyes wide open, there's still. Uh, an opposite pothole, if you will. But uh, he did very well for a very short, well, a brief time, two years, I think, three years. But after that, he he got burnt out because it was exactly as I said. It's a very difficult world in in modeling, you know. You know, and I think Scott, that comparison you talked about, that modeling comparison to um, you know, bodybuilding. It's like yeah. bodybuilding modeling. I mean, the the whole thing is built around body image. So you're constantly looking at yourself, trying to figure, oh, I got to fix this, I got to fix that. Right. It's got perfection, you know, um, and how just you know, daunting or how, like you said, being burnt out is like, it's just hard to maintain that at that level for so long. I think that's why, you know, having 
additional support services and why support services are out there for folks is so crucially important. We offer the support to Kira because she's under an amazing amount of pressure to produce this program <laughs> in such Doing a, a way. Fantastic she job. keeps us on track. My God, her, her ability to count backwards and, and timing out the segments is phenomenal. I don't phenomenal. even know where, where we're going half the time, Second but she enough. does. Yeah. So thank you, Kira. <laughs> Our guest is Scott Bruxford. Scott, in its finality, uh, in other words, we're heading to the top of the hour. What is it uh, you would like people to know most about you and your life's experience? Yeah, I would say, you know, the, the biggest thing that anybody could ever know about me is that there's there's so much layers to my life, so many layers to my life beyond being an athlete. And I would say the most healing that I've ever done in my mental health walk, in my path of enlightenment, it's a, it's a daily trip, you know, there's no end destination. But when I was able to look in the mirror, I mentioned it in my TED talk, but I was able to look in the mirror and just have an honest conversation with myself about where I'm currently where I need to improve on different areas in my life and then love myself that I can reinvent myself and I can redefine myself. And is. me just being Scott Brock is enough. I don't need to be Scott the athlete. I don't need to be Scott the TED Talk presenter or Scott the dude that runs Price of a Hug even. I'm just Scott. And I just wake up every single day with this new appreciation for life, that the sun's shining, that there's plants all around me. I don't have to go run suicides until I puke in practice anymore. <laughs> Thank um, <goodness. laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd say that's the biggest, that's the biggest transition that I made in my life was that there's this whole vast life for me that I can appreciate my time as an athlete. I can appreciate the lessons that sports taught me and the many, many, many doors that being a, high-performing athlete has opened for me in my life while still recognizing that I can wake up today and I can just go for a little 30-minute walk and take some pictures, and that brings my life more satisfaction than dunking on Andrew Wiggins or putting uh -huh. 40 points up on the Harrison Twins back in the day championship or playing at Wells Fargo Arena. You know, it's, I found that I don't need to perform to be happy. I don't need to perform well to be happy. And when I'm not performing well, I can love myself and give myself some self-care and get back to a more balanced state of stillness. And that would probably be the most important thing that anyone could ever know about me is that I'm just Scott. I'm not Scott followed with anything else. He is Scott. And by God, you can find him at priceofahug.com. Look for him on Facebook as well. For all of us at Talk Therapy, Thank you so much for listening. Scott, thank you. A great conversation. An hour went by so quickly. So quickly. We appreciate your time, your effort, and your apparent love. God bless. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. There we go. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week.